Don't you want to be lost in wonder, love, and praise? And if we were lost in wonder, love, and praise, wouldn't we be found in adoration? Wouldn't we be caught and caught up in adoring Him? Would you pray with me? Father God, how we love you, love divine, all loves excelling, as if we know what love is apart from you, as if we could ever comprehend love apart from the love, the self-giving love of our Savior who gave up everything for us. No wonder we love you, Lord. We are constrained by the love of Christ, compelled, Lord. We have, we have no alternative as we ponder your love except to love you with our all, with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds, and with all of our strength. Lord, this morning, give us this one gift that we might cast all of our crowns before the king of the universe and that we might crown you with many crowns, Lord of life, love divine. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. God is good all the time. We had a great uh, week. I had the chance to join the staff on retreat this week. We were up in Dallas thinking about how we could put Deuteronomy 6, loving God with all that we are, to work in our church and in our families. And can I just tell you how much I love working with this group of ministers. Um, You get to see Carlos every week. I love the way he leads us into the presence of God in worship And I love every person I get to serve with. I'm so excited about the ordination tonight. Um, It's it's good to get to do what you love to do with people whom you love. That's my testimony. So how is yourself today? This is not, by the way, a self-help sermon. You know, the three ways you can or here's how to. It's not a self-help sermon. We talk a lot about self. There are even self-help sections in our bookstores. One man at Barnes & Noble recently was looking for the self-help section, and wouldn't you know it, he couldn't find it. And so he asked the attendant, he said, could you point out to me the self-help section? She said, well, I could, but that would sort of defeat the purpose, wouldn't it, if I helped you find the self-help section? We're told it is good. We're told to be yourself and to believe in yourself and to help yourself and to know yourself and to love yourself. But I noticed that Jesus was always talking about denying yourself and losing yourself for his sake so that you might be found in him. Don't you want to be found in him Luke chapter 9, verses 22 to 25. We'll pick up 46 to 48 and 57 to 62. Let's think about the unselfish life, or as I came to consider it later in the week, me last. (laughs) Not me first, but me last. Luke 9. Let's stand together and hear the word of the Lord. A friend of mine asked me, I told you last week, are all these people who come to Tallowood born again? And I decided not to answer that question for you. 
but that maybe we ought to think about that together. This week, I saw him again. He said, do all of us at Tallawood love God with all that we are? Listen to the word of the Lord this morning. Luke chapter 9, verse 22. And Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life For me, we'll save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? After the transfiguration and Jesus' healing of a boy with an evil spirit, we pick up the story in verse 46 where these disciples who've just heard that you were supposed to deny yourself and lose yourself, this is what happens. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside them. And then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. And then in verse 57, after Jesus is unceremoniously thrown out of a town in in Samaria, as they were walking along the road, A man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me, but the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Thank you. You may be seated. Kierkegaard said discipleship is to will one thing. Last week, we just looked at one phrase. Does anybody want to come after Jesus. We said, does anybody will? Is it your will to come after Jesus? If you do, the first step, he says, is to deny yourself. And we see how difficult this was for Jesus' disciples who were there in that moment, who heard him speak with his own mouth, deny yourself, how hard it was for them not to sort of vie and see who could be the greatest among them. We, we hear these others who are meeting him along the road, making promises to him, answering his call, and Jesus saying to them, you can't call me Lord and say, first let me. Why can't I just do what I want to do? Why can't I just survey the landscape of life and say, what works for me? Why can't I, in John Stuart Mill's concept, just be utilitarian? Why can't I just figure out what's best for me and do that? In a word, Jesus 
Because to be apprentices of Jesus Christ is to acknowledge that life is not about me. It's not to say, Lord, first let me. But it is to say, Lord, you are first. And Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added to you. We don't. We don't live to die. We die to live. And as he speaks to us today, we hear Jesus saying to us, if your ambition in life is to save your life, you will lose your life. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. And so he shows us two very distinctive paths of life. On the one hand, there is the life of self aggrandizement, the life that makes much of self, that that satisfies self at all costs. But we might find, Jesus says, that the cost for the life of self-aggrandizement is too high because self-aggrandizement leaves us empty and leads us to death. Listen to Jesus. You must deny yourself. You must deny yourself. Why? Because if you try to save your life, here's that word to will again. I asked you last week, do you will to come after Jesus? Listen to what he says in verse 24. For whoever wills, that's the word, whoever sets her will, his will to save their lives, that person will lose his life, he says. And what if you gained the whole world and you lost your very soul. We see it, I think, in Jesus' disciples. We hear it even in the words of uh, Solomon. If anybody had the ability and the means to take care of himself, it was Solomon. And he concludes in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10, he says, I denied myself. There are those same words. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And, that was, and what was the reward of all my labor? He says in verse 11, it left me empty. And I said, all is vanity. The life that is only about self, that's only about the, um, about the acquisition of greater and greater pleasure, that life is ultimately an empty life. And somehow in our hearts, We know that. Kathleen Norris in her book, Assetia and Me, describes this when she tells about going to check on a Sunday school class, children's Sunday school class that had gotten out of control. And as she, who was delegated to go and settle the kids down until their teacher arrived, as she arrived at the door and opened it, one of the children came out and said, we're being bad and we don't know how to stop. (laughs) Was it Dallas Willard who who said to us, we want to do good, but we are prepared to do evil. That's what Solomon discovered, that the acquisition of greater and greater gain and pleasure, that that in no way satisfied the deeper longings of his soul. We could could seek to satisfy self with pleasure. We could seek to exalt ourselves with prestige and power. Can you believe that Jesus' disciples who have just who have just now heard him say, deny yourself and, and I'm going to die and you must follow after me. Can you believe that those same 
that same cluster, that inner group of disciples who saw him transfigured in all of his glory on the mountain could come down from the mountain and still think it was about them? Which one of us, he says in verse 46, they ask themselves, which one of us is going to be the greatest? Nietzsche called it the will to power. That deep longing in our souls that says, I have to be greater than you. One of our clean comedians, they're the only kind I like, is Brian Regan. He talks about the me monster. You go to a party or to a gathering or to your office and there is that person who keeps talking about himself or herself. And, and the minute you say something about yourself, they will immediately put you in your place and say, well, yeah, that's you, but I'm up here. Can't you see that I'm up here? He said, I always wanted to be one of those 12 men who actually walked on the moon. So that when I went to one of those parties, when those people started saying, last week I was building my kingdom, my great domain, I was in Germany, I was driving down the Audubon, no speed limits, I was just building my kingdom, I, 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 me, 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 I could say, I walked on the moon. (laughs) Wouldn't it sort of put it all in perspective? Yes, you drove on the Audubon, but I walked on the moon. I was driving the other day in my Land Rover on the moon. Wouldn't it sort of put life in perspective? And we can get in this game of it's me first. It's, it's I've got to be first. It's me top. I must be. I, I love this, this truth that, that ultimately God cannot clean my house while I'm still in it. It's not about my power. It's not about my prestige. It's not about my pleasure. It's not... He goes on to say about our possession. So in chapter 12, when one of Jesus' would-be disciples comes up to him and, and says to him, I want you to tell my brother to share the inheritance with me, Jesus says, I am not getting in this family squabble. But be careful, he says, because life is about more than the acquisition of stuff. And then Jesus told a parable, and we see the me monster, as Brian Regan calls him, in this man who eight times describes what he is going to do. He has this problem, you understand. He has so much stuff, his storage containers won't hold it anymore. It sounds like Americans to me. I don't know. But he has so much stuff that he can't contain it anymore. He says, I know what I will do eight times. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will build barns. I will put all my stuff. He uses the word my four times. He, he has a dialogue with himself. That's the literal in Greek. He just has a little conversation with himself. What it says he thought to himself. It says he was talking to himself. He's self, what am I going to do? I know what I will do. I will, I will, I will. And that very night... His soul is required of him. John Ortberg reminds us that when we play Monopoly and we conquer the board, or we play Risk and we conquer the world, at the end, as his grandmother used to remind him, it all goes back in the box. Well, it all does. Even we, I don't mean to be morbid, even we go back in the box. At the end of the day, It's not about acquiring pleasure or possessions or prestige as though those things could ever ultimately satisfy our souls. Irving Kristol says it's it's difficult being frustrated and not getting what we want. But the real disasters in life start when I get what I want. Life has to be about more than just 
acquiring and getting my way. Oh, I know the price of discipleship is high, but Dallas Willard reminds us the cost of non-discipleship is even higher. Have you ever thought about what it would cost you not to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Abiding peace, a life penetrated throughout by love, faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good, hopefulness that stands firm in discouraging times, power to do what's right and withstand the force of evil. I tell you what it costs you not to be a disciple, the very abundance of life that Jesus Christ promised he would bring. Self-aggrandizement leaves us empty. It leads to death. But let me leave you with good news today. Self-abandonment, self-abasement leads ultimately to life. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 24 when he says, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, I saw that again this morning. It's funny. I, I realized yesterday was the 24th of September, 924, and today is 925. Maybe it's appropriate that we look at, at Luke 924 and Luke 925 in these days where he says, whoever wants to save his life, you can't save your life. Whoever wills to, that's your desire, but you can't. You'll lose your life. But if you, you can do this, it's not just a want. You can actually lose your life for him on account of him. For his sake, and if you do, he says, you will save your life. But who really, who really lives a life of self-denial? Who can actually do that? Well, Jesus does. Look in verse 22 where he says, this is what the Son of Man has to do. He must suffer. He must be rejected. He must be killed. And Jesus embraces that. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, we can do this because he did this. Let this mind be in you. Have the same attitude of Christ. Our choir sings, oh, may we have the mind of Christ. And when we get the mind of Christ, what we do, we, we realize that Jesus, who was in very position equal with God, who was God, did not grasp that, but released that and, and took the form of a servant and made himself nothing and walked right down the staircase of heaven into this world and became a servant and died on a cross. And Jesus denied self. And if Jesus could deny self, then you and I can deny ourselves as well. So Jesus can say to the man in, in verse 57 of Luke 9, you um, realize when you say you're going to follow me that we're not headed to the Jerusalem Hilton. Even animals have better accommodations than I do. But if you want to deny yourself, you can follow me. And when another one says to him, Lord, but first I need to go and bury my father. I have this, this high responsibility. Jesus, some think this man's father has not yet died. And he's saying, as soon as my dad dies, I'll come and follow you. And so he's delaying it. But maybe even a better understanding is his father has died. And that's the highest Jewish responsibility. And Jesus says, more important than that is following me. Let the dead bury their dead. Don't exchange the silver trumpet of the resurrection for a shrouded casket. Don't make that 
mistake because we can never pray thy kingdom come until we're willing to pray my kingdom go deny yourself Jesus says and the apostle Paul put this into practice and he says I I could die or I could live when he's talking to Philippians he says I don't know which is better because for me to die is gain but to live is about Christ he could say to the Galatians I have been crucified with Christ nevertheless I live I died but I live But the life I now live, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Jesus' life becomes our life. No, we don't live to die, but we die to live. We deny ourselves. We die to self daily, as the Apostle Paul said. And when we do, that's when we really live. And it affects everything in our lives. It affects our relationships. The the principle is deny yourself the promise is then you will really live Craig Barnes tells about counseling a young couple they wanted to get married the young man looks at his fiance at the end of the the counseling by the way I think Larry Bertrand is the best at this in the world and when this um, young man at the end of the counseling looks at his fiance and says I don't know I'm still afraid to get married She's troubled by that, understandably. She looks at the counselor. The counselor looks at her, looks at him, and he says, no, let me explain. He said, ever since I lost my mother, I've always been afraid to get married because if I get married, I might lose you. And I don't ever want to lose you. I don't know what I would do if I ever lost you. And then he looks at the counselor, and counselors are supposed to be you know, omniscient and know everything, but the counselor looks at him, and he said, I knew in that moment what he wanted me to say was, oh, it's okay, you'll never lose her. But he said, as a pastor, too many times I had stood after 60 years of marriage with a family by the graveside of one of them. So I couldn't say that. So instead, I said, you know what? I can't promise you that you won't lose her because every marriage ultimately ends in this life. So my, my counsel to you is go ahead and give her up. Die to the idea that you can keep her and possess her. Die to the idea or the fear that you're going to lose her. Die to that and then you'll begin to live with her and enjoy the life God has given you for as many days as he gives you life together. But if you spend your whole marriage wondering about whether you're going to lose that person, you will never enjoy marriage at all. This works in our relationships with each other It works in our relationship with God. So Randy Alcorn, who wrote that great book on heaven, tells about going to the end of a dead end, uh, an alleyway in Egypt, trash-filled, garbage-filled street, and walking to the end of that street and out into a deserted cemetery that was left there from many years ago and finding a tombstone and wiping the dust off of it so that he could read it and reading the story and the name of William Borden. Maybe William Borden's family provided something for you for breakfast this morning. But this young man at the age of 21 walked away from his home and from his fortune and from his inheritance because God had called him to be a missionary. The news media of the day went crazy saying this man is a fool. He is walking away from from a life of wealth and opulence and riches here to go and be a missionary where he might lose his life and 
almost in a prophetic way, they were right because while he was in Egypt learning language and culture so that he could minister to a Muslim people, he contracted a terminal illness and lost his life. And the news media in the United States said, wasn't he a fool? We were right. But it's interesting to read Borden's own words that he wrote in the flyleaf of his Bible. He just wrote six words, no reserve. I've got nothing left. No retreat. I wouldn't go back if I could. No regrets. I don't regret giving my life away. What did Jim Elliot say? He is not a fool. He is not a fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he can never lose. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your amazing love and grace, for your power to transform our lives. God, we come to you acknowledging you are our only hope. God, we need you today. And we pray that you would help us to lose our kingdoms so that we can find yours, to deny ourselves so that we can really live. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.